I'm doing here. Uh, my name is Stephen Dickinson. For those of you who don't know me, odds are good that if you've seen me, it's been sitting over there pretty quietly or in the sound booth back there. I'm pretty accustomed to working opposite the stage, so being up here today is outside of... It's new territory. It's outside of my comfort zone. Um, I have had varying levels of nervousness throughout this whole process um, since being asked to preach. And right now I'm kind of cranked to an 11, so if you'll bear with me, <laughs> that's great. So as I said, what business do I have up being up here? Well, I have a background in biblical languages. I've had an opportunity to study with some teachers who know the Bible really well. But realistically, that's not why I'm up here. I'm up here because Pastor Tamar, um, a few weeks ago, now probably a month, asked me if, she, or if I thought that God was asking me to preach. And I thought about it and came to the conclusion that, yes, he, he had. So I'm just here on faith, assuming that if I give this message, he'll do what he wants with it. All right. So at the start of the series, uh, Pastor Tamar asked us to develop a one-sentence prayer that we can pray for each other as we go through the book of Ephesians. And so I'm going to pray mine right now, if you'll join me. Dear Lord, give us ears to hear your word. So, we'll go quickly over uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, what we've talked about so far. Over the last several weeks, uh, we've been looking at kind of how the church is uh, a vision of how the, what the church is supposed to look like. Uh, Paul has reminded them that they are beneficiaries of God's blessings, that they are no longer separated from God, but are in fact adopted by him and have all of the rights that come with that. He reminded them that they are no longer dead in the way that they used to live. They're not zombies, uh, kind of shuffling after, after all the things, the brains that won't satisfy them. The life that Christ gives them there uh, is welcome to all who will accept it. And Jesus, in his life and death, has destroyed the things that keep humanity apart. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the ways that people are relating and how Paul thinks that they should be. Uh, and he will also just talk about how they should be behaving in general as a church. But today, I'm going to kind of skip all the way to the end of the book of Ephesians, uh, and we're going to read that together. Uh, hopefully, we've been able to gain some familiarity with the book uh, by reading it weekly, as Pastor Jamar has challenged us to do. Uh, so if I make references throughout, hopefully those will be clear. So I'm just going to ask a couple questions that we can kind of think through uh, as, we, as we start today. Have you ever been in a situation where life has thrown everything it has at you? and you can't do anything about it. Do you need relief? And do you ever just want to throw in the towel? So, as we get to today's, today's passage, we're going to see that Paul is giving his audience some help in address, addressing these issues in the church. But what are those issues? Well, here's a quick recap. Some of the Ephesians are having trouble getting along. As Pastor Jamar has talked about in the previous weeks, uh, we've seen this divide 
essentially a racial tension between the Gentiles and the Jews, the Gentiles being those who have just been introduced into the family of God and the Jews who have been there since they were born. Um, and some of the things that they fight over, uh, one thinking they're greater than the other. And then even within the church, we'll see in chapter 4, there are these divisions inside of households, and there are power struggles there. So the unified family that the church is supposed to be is broken and is fighting among itself. Besides that, uh, we have people who are turning back and trying to live the zombie lifestyle. They still want to please themselves, and Paul is having none of that. And though it's not necessarily as clear, uh, this passage is going to address people who, not necessarily through any fault of their own, are just struggling. They're having trouble. Um, Maybe that's financial, maybe that's physical. But these people are having trouble, and he's trying to address some of these issues and show them what they need to do uh, in order to overcome them. So that's where today's scripture comes in. And I'd like us to read it together. And I have something of a visual example. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If the book of Ephesians, if you have a physical Bible and you start looking for, um, looking for Ephesians, if you have, are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Romans, Corinthians, you're not there yet. Keep turning. Uh, If you've made it to Philippians, you've gone a little too far and should just turn back a little more. And then we're going to go to the end verses um, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, when Paul's been talking uh, throughout this chat about this, this book, and now he's finishing off what he's about to say. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and when you, after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So we get kind of dropped right into the middle of this chat of this passage. Uh, and verse 10 encourages the listeners to be strengthened in the Lord. Your translations will probably say something like, uh, in, the, in, his, in his mighty power or in the strength of his might. Um, what Paul's using there is kind of a the language he uses is trying to illustrate that God is the highest there is uh, and is the greatest power there is. Uh, A decent translation might be, uh, be strengthened in the Lord and is an extremely mighty power, the highest there is. 
So after all, this is the God that in Ephesians 3.20 is described as able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So Paul tells us then to put on the full armor of God. We've got it all here so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 11 immediately moves us into this understanding that we're in a conflict and tells us who our adversary is. And this becomes even more clear as we read into verse 12. And I think that this can be both encouraging and somewhat sobering because it tells us one thing. Our battle isn't against people. Remember that in the metaphor that, we've been, that Pastor Kumar has been using throughout the series that people are zombies. They're kind of just shuffling around trying to fulfill themselves. Uh, but while they do stand in opposition to the Christian, they aren't necessarily the target. We're not trying to defeat them. In most zombie stories, you don't get zombies just springing up on their own accord. There is something greater than them that makes them kind of become what they are. Uh, that may be a virus, that may be a parasite, or in more fantasy settings, that may be a necromancer, a, a magician who raises and animates the dead. So, I am both a uh, Lord of the Rings and a Star Wars fan. Um, so I'm going to use both of those today in this one example. In Star Wars Episode One, and in Return of the King, uh, the last book and film of the Lord of the Rings series, the people, the good guys, have to go into a fight that is basically no more than a distraction. Because they know that their enemy can outnumber them and can attack them and overwhelm them. But they also know that this enemy has a weakness and if that weakness is overcome, the entire enemy will just stop being an issue. But they still have to hold out to give time for that to work. So, and it does. It works when they, when they hold firm and when they stand their ground. In Star Wars, the droid control ship gets blown up and the droids just... They're so broken! Uh, and, and when the destruction of the ring happens in Lord of the Rings, Sauron's power is taken away. The hold he has over his creatures disappears, and they get terrified and run away. So I realize that no metaphor is perfect, but I think that that is somewhat of what Paul's getting at in this passage. We aren't trying to fight the zombies and defeat them all. We're trying to hold out as long as the enemy is able to send things at us. We're not supposed to fight the zombies themselves, and we're not supposed to fight each other. We're supposed to hold the line against the enemy. So if that's our task, we should be prepared for it. You're welcome to stay standing here, Greg, if you'd like, or you can sit down if you'd, if you'd rather. Either way, take your pick. So if that's our task, we should be ready for it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go into battle just wearing these clothes. In any era, really. Thankfully, Paul doesn't give us, make us even think about taking that option because he goes and he opens the armory and he says, here's the stuff, put it on. So let's start in verse 14. 
Paul has made this point that he wants us to stand, and he echoes that command again, and he starts off with truth. Now, I'm going to be honest. In most of your translations, it's going to be rendered as belt. But I'm going to be honest, it doesn't, has never really made sense to me how truth is a belt. Um, I've read some sermons where the expectation is that truth is like a modern-day belt, where you slip it through your pant loops and your pants don't fall down. And that keeps you from shame, and that's great. In some ways, I don't think that's bad, and if that's what you've heard and like, it's something worth considering. But what Paul, I think, is really getting at is something different. He uses this language uh, of essentially tying your waist, is, the, is kind of the Greek of the passage. Uh, and I'm going to actually favor something that I don't usually, the KJV. No, no uh, mentions, but that's not my preferred. But the KJV says, gird up your loins. And that's a weird phrase, <laughs> just, just to be clear. But it, it kind of boils down to a time when you were wearing longer clothing and they'd get in the way if you were going to try to do something physical or you're going to try to go into battle. And it says, basically, take them, tie them up so that you can actually go and you can work. It's kind of a code phrase, like roll up your sleeves. Get yourself ready. Be ready for this thing that's coming up. So that raises the question, why is truth important? Why is it this kind of foundational element that Paul asks the Ephesians to put on first? Well, I think there are two reasons that I'm going to go over. Uh, the first one is we need to remember what Paul has just said about our enemy. He said that it's the devil. And in John 8, Jesus talks to, is talking, and he describes the devil this way. Uh, starting in the middle of the verse, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So wouldn't you say it makes sense if our enemy is made up of lies to instead be the thing that is contrary, that is opposite him, putting on truth? But I think there's more to it than that, and I think it, it plays into it. We need truth, not only because it's contrary to our enemy, the liar, but because it allows us to communicate and to be able to work together. If you're doing anything uh, that may be at your job, it may be playing a sport, it may be out in the field uh, in the middle of a battle. Are you going to prefer to have someone beside you who is trustworthy and will tell you what you need to hear at any given point or the guy who plays fast and loose with the truth? It's the first one, right? And Paul gets at this. He's talked about it earlier in Ephesians 4.25. And he tells the church, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor we are all members of one body. Paul says we're supposed to be working as one, and if truth isn't there, the communication that we need to make that work falls apart. All right. So now we've put on truth, and the rest of the armor can go on top of that. 
The second half of verse 14 continues, stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Uh, the breastplate, or as my model has on, it's uh, called various things, a quius or a corslet of, of mail, represents righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible tends to have two basic terms um, or, or meanings that it, it encompasses. Uh, it can be the action or the habit of doing the right thing, or it can also be used in kind of a legal sense where it says, where a judge or someone in authority says, this person is right, and this person is in right standing. So I think we should look, consider both. Uh, I think given Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, there's a good chance that it's the first one. Because Paul, again, talks, is talking to the, the Ephesians not talking to the Corinthians right now. He does that later. Um, and he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So God wants us to do the right things. Um, and Paul makes this clear. But I think it's also worth realizing that when we remember that God has said we're in the right before him, which happens when we put our faith in him, that removes a lot of the questions that we can have of, am I really worthwhile? Am I worthy? Has God really made me right? And those are the questions that we can use it for. Verse 15 goes on to talk about your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Body armor is super valuable. And Paul has already spent some time on it, and we'll spend some more time on it as we go forward. But if you're fighting, and you're out in harsh terrain, and your feet are barefoot, it's not going to feel best, feel good at the best. And it may make you trip and leave your back open to getting stabbed by your enemy at the worst. Paul has already talked about this, this peace in Ephesians 2. Um, he says that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's been talking about the, the Gentiles and the Jews especially, but he's going to, uh, I think he is equating it also with the various people within their relationships who are having these power struggles. And it, Ephesians, it goes on in the next verse. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so we're able to fight, to stand firm, because we aren't at war with each other. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. If you're ready to go, you won't be fighting as a norm, and you won't trip over each other as you're trying to get pride of place. So then we'll go on to probably the longest and hardest of the, of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, verse 16. Take up the shield of faith over all of this with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So in the ancient world, shields are kind of one of the first and sometimes only lines of defense that a soldier has. Uh, the rest of the armor is pretty expensive in, in those days. 
Um, but a shield, most everyone has. Uh, and I think it's telling that Paul decides to use this metaphor. Um, he's saying this is the foremost defense that you're going to have. It's going to be the one that protects you most and is the one out front. So what is faith? Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1, tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So many of the hopes of Christianity, resurrection, forgiveness even, and salvation, they have evidence, but they're dependent largely on faith. And if, since they aren't visible and things that we can see, they are often ammunition. And the devil can kind of say, are you really? Does God really, like feel that way about you? I don't think so. You're pretty bad. It's an old tactic, and it's one that the devil's been using since the beginning, really. But faith seems to hinge on the ability to say, not my will, but yours. Now, I've said that, and that's really easy to say. It's a lot harder to live out. So faith is great because there are so many things that we can see that God can do. But for me, anyway, letting go and saying, okay, God, you can do this, and I don't have to be in charge of doing all of this, that's hard. And there are other hard things about faith. And I think physical armor can kind of teach us a few things about it. When you wear any armor and you get hit, if I, were to, if I were to punch Greg right now, my hand would hurt, actually. But if I were to hit Greg with a sword, he would probably live, but he would definitely feel it. It's not like Iron Man who can just take a tank shell and stand up and shrug it off. You always feel hits on your face because armor is built to take force and distribute it, but it doesn't necessarily take it away. So this shield here may stop a bunch of arrows and keep you from getting actually hurt or damaged, but it can hurt. Your arm is going to feel the shock and your hands are going to start to sting after a while. And as I said... Carrying the shield of faith isn't easy. Um, I'm going to use a, an example uh, from actually before I was born, but in my family. One of my uncles, my mom's brother, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and his family, uh, my mom and her parents, and I believe her brother as well, prayed. And they prayed and they prayed. And I believe that they had faith that God could do what he wanted. But he died. And at, in, in church following this, they were, and maybe not, it may not have been at church, but it was someone from the faith community told them, comforted them, and in the same breath said, you didn't have enough faith. And that hurts to this day. 
Now, there are Bible passages that talk about having to believe and not doubt, and I don't want to discount any of those. They're important. But those aren't the only things that are said about faith. Hebrews 11, where we got our definition, talks about how many people lived in faith that something would happen, and they never saw it come to pass. But even then they said to God, you can do it even if I never live to see it. Jesus himself told us that life as his follower wouldn't be easy. In John 16, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble. And then he encourages them and he says, Take heart, I have overcome the world. So you might be here today, and I I don't know, um, you might be here today waiting for something that you are confident God has promised you. Or you may be dealing with some hurt, physical or otherwise, that you've asked God to take away. And nothing's happened. And we, we all have hopes. And I imagine many of us have some of those hopes that haven't gone anywhere that we can see. I, I can sympathize, and I really, really don't want to minimize the impact. Um, I actually want to acknowledge that impact that it has because hopes put off and not showing any results, they can ache and hurt badly. But I want to encourage you to remember who God is, who he says he is, and to believe that he can do as he promised. All right, so coming out of faith, we're in the home stretch. We've got our body protected and our feet are ready, and now we need a helmet. So Paul tells us that salvation... I really can't read Paul's mind. It might, not be, a, it might be a little bit of a scary place. Uh, but <laughs> I can't read his mind to know what he's thinking, why he uses a helmet to represent salvation. But here's a guess. I think all of us know how important the head is. And if you get a head injury, how bad that will be, can be. So I imagine what Paul is saying is salvation is critical. It's the thing that we need to have constantly seated in a place to protect us. And it's important when we're facing the devil to remember that you're saved because it shows us and makes us remember that we aren't that zombie anymore. We are given the cure and we're taken out of that horde and put as a soldier within Christ's army. And we're almost there. Almost there. Let's take a look at the sword of the Spirit. All of the other armor that we've looked at so far has been defensive. And this is going to be the only offensive weapon that Paul lists. Roman soldiers had more, but this is the one that Paul chose. Our main point isn't destruction, but it allows us to fight back. So the sword of the Spirit seems to have two edges. First is the Word of God, that is, the Bible, and all the things that tell us who God is. In a couple of the Gospel accounts, uh, Jesus is taken out into the desert, and he's tempted there by the devil. First we see him use the shield of faith, saying, yes, God is who he says he is, and he does a one-two with the shield 
blocking, and the second with a sword saying, and here are the things that tell us how God is who he is and how we are supposed to respond to that. So knowing the scriptures helps him remember who God is and what he's promised to do. The second edge of the sword of the Spirit is prayer. Uh, A lot of Bible translations will start a new verse, a new sentence in verse 18. uh, And this is to make it easier to read. Paul's sentences get very, very long. um, And so to avoid run-ons, they add a break. But what's really happening in the Greek is there is a continuation of the thought he started uh, in talking about the sword of the Spirit. If knowing who God is through Scripture is one edge, the ability to approach him and ask the things that we need with confidence is the other edge. Prayer is an integral part of our armor. And he encourages his hearers, and that includes us, to constantly be praying for one another and asking for the things we need. He wants us to be prepared for the task at hand, that is, to stand firm. And so I think that brings us to a place that I want to remind us. Sometimes I miss this, sometimes others miss this. But I want to note that Paul probably isn't expecting the church, these individuals, to take up this armor and go stand by themselves. He wants them to be a unit, to be more than just ourselves, but able to to be together. Um, I'm going to, if Matt has the video, I'm going to ask him to show it. It's very short, and it's a demonstration of a Roman tactic, which was quite famous, called the testudo, or the tortoise. And it was when a group of soldiers uh, took their shields and interlocked them, (laughs) making a box. And as you can see, they are there together. All sides are covered, except the back. But you have your decurion in the back. Anyway, no, uh, all the sides are covered. And I think that that's what Paul is getting at with our Christian battle. We are not supposed to go it alone. Uh, As Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I'm going to end this in a prayer, um, and keeping with the metaphor, I'm going to kind of make it um, a chance to ask God to inspect your armor. Present it to him for inspection and ask him to show you if there's anything that needs to be fixed. Um, I would recommend asking for one If God shows you multiple, that's his business, and please listen. But I will only encourage you to ask for one. So please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together as your people. We thank you that in this battle we aren't left alone without protection, but that you are with us and have given us a full kit of armor that can keep us safe. Thank you that we don't have to acquire it for ourselves, but that it's a gift. But, Lord, help us recognize that, like armor, it can get beaten up in battle. 
or it can break down from lack of care. I believe that you're happy to help us repair it if we bring it to you. I pray that you'd show us what needs to be fixed to keep us protected. So, Lord, you've given us truth to be ready in the battle. Maybe we've let the belt slip a little bit and we don't speak the truth to one another. Or maybe Satan slips in some lies that make us feel like we can't wear the rest of the armor any longer. If either of these are the case, Lord, show us that and help us to remember that you are truth. Perhaps righteousness is missing a few links um, here or there, and things are getting through. Help us to do the good that you want us to do, and remember that you make us righteous. We may be missing a shoe, Lord, or it may be tangled up, and peace and wholeness don't feel right. If there are struggles that we have with others, we ask that you give us the strength and the humility to make it right between us so we aren't fighting each other but might be able to actually stand against our enemy. Some of us, Lord, have been carrying the shield of faith for a long time um, and trouble has beaten it up and it looks like a pincushion. And we really don't know how it can take another hit. So, Lord, pray that you would help us patch it up uh, and give us strength to hold it longer. You told the Apostle Paul that our, your grace is sufficient, for your power is made perfect in weakness. So we ask us, you to show us the power so that our faith can continue to be strong. And as for salvation, Lord, maybe we are wearing it, but it's gotten a little rusty or dim, and it could use some polish to keep bright and shining as a testimony. If the devil tempts us to start questioning our salvation, Lord, let us look to you and know that we are yours and that you have rescued us. Or maybe, Lord, our sword is rusty or it's got a dull edge. If we haven't kept up our desire to know you more and we're in your word or in prayer, please stir us to make that a priority again. Let us seek to know you above everything else. And Lord, in all these things, uh, let us, your people, hold together as a unit, helping to protect one another when things get tough. And Lord, if anyone looks at this armor and they say, this is such a mess, I can never get it ready. Or maybe they haven't put it on yet and they don't know if that's something they want. Help them to remember what Proverbs says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. If we call on you, Lord, you make us secure. Amen. Amen.